Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our last series of lectures for the 2012 calendar year. And this will be on CTFDQ app and a practical approach. And this is uh, based on some lectures I gave at a couple meetings uh, within the last few weeks. And so, simply, what's an acute abdomen? Well, an acute abdomen is a clinical syndrome characterized by the sudden onset of severe abdominal pain requiring emergency medical or surgical treatment. So really what you're talking about when you're using CT, you're using CT as an excellent triage tool. Now, abdominal pain is the most common cause for an ER visit overall and second most common in patients over age 15, with chest pain being the most common in that age group. Abdominal pain accounts for over 8 million of the 119 million ER visits each year. Now, when you think about the acute abdomen and you're thinking of causes, we know there are many causes, and things like patient's age or sex, past medical history, medications, symptoms, physical and laboratory examinations, as well as prior radiologic studies can all provide important information. A patient with sickle cell disease and abdominal pain, you're thinking about potential infarcts. A patient on Coumadin, you're thinking about bleed. A patient with a history of prior neoplasm, you're thinking about complications of therapy or spread of tumor. So history in the acute abdomen setting is indeed very critical. Now, the question at times is that CT potentially is overused in the ER setting. Uh, you look at an article like this, between 95 and 07, the use of CT in the ER increased exponentially by a factor of about 5 from 2.8% to 13.9%. But this article by Larson also makes the point that CT is ideal in the ER setting. It's rapid, minimally invasive, and the images provide uh, important information that allows direct patient management when the results are positive and provide reassurance when the results are negative. It's also important to recognize that a negative result is not a, a necessary study. Patient with suspected appendicitis and you have a negative CT, patient can be discharged or you look for other causes. So a negative study is not necessarily an unnecessary study and I think things tend to be put in that category sometimes. Also, you compared 1995 and 2007. 1995, we barely were doing spiral CT. Most ERs had no scanners. Now the availability, the capabilities of the scanners has all increased, so the simple fact there are more studies is not a great surprise. Also, the fact we're doing more studies, people don't comment also that it replaced other studies. We do PEs in the ER, we used to do VQ scans. No one talks about the decrease in VQ scans and a relative shift of what we can do. In this article by Rosen in 2000, look at this success. Our study shows the use of CT increased physician certainty, reduced the rate of hospital admissions by 24%, led to more timely surgery in 11%, ruled out significant disorders in 26%, and provided an alternative diagnosis for the patient's symptoms in 26%. Just amazing numbers. CT performed the ER, increased the level of certainty, reduced hospital admission rates by 23.8%, and led to more timely intervention. Significant hospital admission reduction reduces costs. In the era of high costs, this is really the way you need to go. Fast forward 11 years, same type of study performed the Mass General to see if they were using CT wisely or they were overusing CT in the non-trauma abdominal setting. 
In their series, most common diagnoses were renal colic and intestinal obstruction. But look what CT did. It altered the leading diagnosis in 49% of cases, increased mean physician certainty from 70 to 92%, management plan changed in 42%, surgery was planned for 79 patients before CT, where hospital discharge was planned for 25% of these patients after CT. Look at those numbers, and that's Mass General. So you're going to say that's a very good hospital. The clinicians know what they're doing. There is no overuse here. Look at the level of certainty. Look at the change in diagnosis. Look at the fact that a quarter of the patients who were scheduled for surgery are discharged home instead. And so some conclusions in management of patients presenting to the ER with non-traumatic abdominal complaints. CT changes the leading diagnosis, increases certainty, and changes potential patient management decisions. What more can you want? In conclusion, this large prospective study, performance of an abdominal CT in the ER for patients with non-traumatic abdominal complaints, increased physician's certainty and changed plan management decisions. So in an 11-year period, nothing changed. CT is a critical study in the ER setting. Now, in looking at the possibilities for what is an acute abdomen, there are many things I could do. I can go through a laundry list of processes organ by organ, be it liver abscesses, as in this case, or splenic abscess, in this case, be it emphysematous cholecystitis, in this case, with air in the gallbladder wall, or an abscess in a patient with appendicitis, in this example, or appendix epiploica with that classic uh, configuration with a crescent of fat centrally in the left lower quadrant. So I can look at specific entities, and that might be a way of doing things, or we could look at several focused abnormalities. Well, regardless of what you're looking at, protocols become very critical. In the ER setting, more and more we're using neutral contrast using water, but we can use oral contrast. If you suspect a perforation of fistula, oral contrast will work very nicely. In appendicitis, either works well. We routinely will give IV contrast, I think particularly when you want to have rapid throughput, not make the patients wait around for hours. It's very important to use IV contrast. Many of the critical findings in organs like liver, kidney, pancreas, spleen are only seen with IV contrast. So it is indeed very, very critical. And the combination of selection will really uh, define how you're going to do the study. In terms of ER patients, like any other examination, there is the question of protocols. Many of our studies in the ER are done with single phase at about 70 seconds post-injection, but depending on the clinical history and what we're looking for, we may do dual phase imaging as well. And you could do this with either bolus triggering or preset delays. Bolus triggering sends seems to work very easy. Pick a point over the aorta depending on injection rate, depending where you want to be. Uh, you can set a parameter for scanning. But again, uh, a delay in time works very well for many patients. And since we will do reconstructions, we are using thin sections, 0.5 every, 0.75 every 0.5 millimeters. And I think it's very important, particularly when you're looking at things like appendicitis or looking at bowel obstruction, that you look beyond the axial plane. I think routinely you must look at coronal views and you should also look at sagittal views in all of these patients. I think it provides additional information and really allows you to make the correct diagnosis in most cases. Now let's look at a few things that fit into the uh, 
era of um, the acute abdomen. And let's talk about small bowel obstruction. That is one of the most common causes. These days, you can think about these four causes of small bowel obstruction, with the most common being adhesions, by far and away. And again, the questions we tend to answer when someone sends me a patient for small bowel obstruction, really you're saying, does the patient indeed have small bowel obstruction, or are the symptoms related to something else? And if there is small bowel obstruction, is it partial or is it complete? And if there is small bowel obstruction, could I tell you the cause of the obstruction? And can I manage this patient conservatively, or does this patient need to go to surgery? You could talk about small bowel obstruction in many ways of simple and complicated, and we've discussed this previously in some of our lectures on the small bowel. But at the end of the day, the question really is, do I need to send the patient to surgery? Because surgery with small bowel obstruction, success very much relates to timing. If surgery is delayed more than 24 hours, mortality increases to 25%, where it might be only 1% if done early. If you have strangulated bowel and you don't treat early, the morbidity and mortality is 100%. Now, things we look for, we look for wall thickening. Well, in my mind, you never see the small bowel wall to any degree, so if it looks thickened, it is, but you can give a measurement of three millimeters. We look for abnormal enhancement, decreased or increased. The same disease process, ischemia, depending on its cause and how delayed it is, can give you hyperemia in bowel or can give you decreased enhancement. We look for where the bowel is. Is there internal hernia? Is there a hernia through a defect from prior surgery, from a trocar defect, for example? And we look for secondary signs in the mesenteric fat. We look at, with small bowel obstruction, we typically talk about a bowel loop over two and a half centimeters in size. We look at the content in the bowel loop. It may be fluid or it may be model density, looking like feces, the so-called feces sign, which shows you the transition point very commonly. You follow the feces till the transition, and that's where the obstruction is, and that often helps you find the exact cause. And then, of course, we look at small bowel thickening. And then when we use CT, we look for transitions in bowel. Where does the bowel go from dilated to normal? That's where the pathology is going to be, so you really can target things down. So if you look at this case, very nice example why coronal views show you the dilated bowel and the transitions very nicely. And you can see in this case there's lots of stool in the patient's colon. And that is the classic feces sign, very, very nicely shown uh, in this example. And you follow the transition of the feces sign into the right upper quadrant, and you can see there's a transition point. There's no mass there. This was due to adhesions. This patient had surgery. It was resected. You note the bowel is enhancing normally. You very nicely see the mesenteric vessels. And again, the importance also of using 3D rendering, MIP and volume rendering in these patients is shown very nicely here. Now, another example. In this case, what you notice is the bowel is dilated, but it's not enhancing very well. And there seems to be a lot of small bowel loops in the left upper quadrant and left side of the abdomen. And you can see it here as well. The patient has bulging of the abdominal wall and flank. And this appearance, the way the bowel loops are twisted and pushed into this well-defined space, and look at it beautifully on the coronal view with that twist. This is a classic example of a mid-gut volvulus. This is a classic example of immediate surgery being necessary. And again, you'll notice this is the example of where there's a transition, but also there's the lack of enhancement, which tells me the patient has ischemic bowel. Look at the wall thickening. Very impressive indeed. Or in this example, 
very similar. Now there's ascites. When I see bowel distension and ascites, I really am worried because that really tips me off. This patient may have ischemic or infarcted bowel. This case is almost the opposite of the other case in terms of the bowel loops being dilated on the right side. Here the bowel loops are enhancing, but they're dilated, and when I look at it in a coronal view, you really have that beautiful view of that internal hernia, the dilated bowel loops coming toward that internal hernia, and then beyond it, the bowel loops being collapsed. And you can see it very nicely in the 3D reconstructions, the dilated bowel, the incarcerated, one could describe it in some sense as incarcerated, this internal hernia. And again, I'm showing you additional views and the mesenteric vessels going to it. So closed loop obstruction, which both cases were, can be caused by adhesions, which in both cases they were, or internal hernia or external hernias. So I showed you a case of adhesions and I showed you two cases of megavolvulus. And this closed loop obstruction leak can lead to a volvulus. And again, the impairment of venous outflow followed by arterial ischemia is very classic. And with closed loop obstruction, we talk about a C or U-shaped distended bowel with mesenteric vessels converging toward the site of obstruction. And again, the coronal views and 3D views in coronal plane are particularly valuable. Now, when we look for obstruction, here's another example with dilated bowel. We follow it downward, and you see the patient has an inguinal hernia with bowel obstruction. When I look at hernias, which are not uncommon, but I start seeing, as in this case, enhancing bowel, that is increased enhancement, or fluid in the sac. To me, I'm very concerned about ischemia. This patient needs to go to surgery. You don't want to wait too long. It's probably better to be too early than too late. Too late to infarct the bowel massive surgery. If you're early, they simply remove the bowel, fix the hernia, and there's no need for bowel resection. So again, very important findings. And of course, obstruction can be due to neoplasm. In this case, ligament of trites, you see bowel obstruction. It wasn't due to a primary bowel neoplasm. It was a tail of the pancreas tumor presenting as bowel obstruction and infiltrating and invading the small bowel near the ligament of trites. Very, very nicely seen. Now, in terms of acute abdomen, if I'm looking at a patient with Crohn's disease in the ER setting, what I probably would try to do, as we do in our clinic, would give the patient volumen, but the things you're looking for, you're looking for the complications, be it the bowel itself, or be it complications beyond the bowel. And typically in the ER setting, you're thinking about cases of abscess, which you can see here, nice enhancing rim to the abscess involving the iliopsoas muscle, seen nicely on coronal views. Or this case of markedly dilated small bowel. Look how dilated those small bowel loops are. And you follow it downward to the right lower quadrant, and you very nicely see the thickened terminal ileum. This was due to Crohn's disease, and that was causing the obstruction. Very nice transition point. Now, this was a pretty impressive obstruction. This patient went to surgery, and this patient had carcinoma in situ within this abnormal bowel. There's an increased incidence of carcinoma in Crohn's disease patients. Sometimes the carcinoma is obvious. In other cases like this, it's only found uh, at pathology, the surgeon did not suspect it to be present either. Now, other things in terms of the acute abdomen, GI bleeding is a common application. We talk about upper and lower GI bleeds, with upper bleeds being defined as proximal to the ligament of trites, which account for 70% of the bleeds, 
And lower GI bleeds distal to the ligament of trites, which are 30% of bleeds. They have a less high mortality with the lower GI bleeds in the upper. And there are a number of causes from angiodysplasia, which is the number one cause, to vascular dysplasias, to neoplasms, and Meckel's diverticulum. And there have been a number of articles, including an article from Hopkins, talking about the value of CTA with 3D mapping for looking at these patients with GI bleeding. And this article by Steiner talking about a systematic and meticulous approach to imaging interpretation using multiplanar reformatting in conjunction with maximum intensity projection should be used in particular to detect focal sites of extravasation of contrast and small pseudoaneurysms. Agree 100%. CTA is a valuable tool for the interventional radiologist by demonstrating the site of bleeding. It allows planning of possible endovascular treatment options prior to angiography. And one of the things that he also comments is that CTA can pick up bleeding at a lower bleed rate than angiography. Now, in terms of seeing bleeding or sites of bleeding or the cause, sometimes it's subtle. When you look at these axial images, again, always do the study with water only. When you look hard, there's some questionable higher density zones within that bowel loop. When you look at it from axial to coronal, it's probably more obvious on the coronal images, those little bright dots. But look what happens when I go to MIP. Look how now more obvious this is. There's multiple vascular zones. This was vascular dysplasia. That was the cause of the patient's bleeding. This was resected. I've seen carcinoid tumors with multiple small vascular lesions. So I guess that was in the differential as well. But just a beautiful visualization, also showing you how easy at times things are to see in MIP and how more difficult it is to see in routine coronal. So you really must look at the MIP imaging. That is critical for finding bleeds, as in this case, where the bleed is just a few millimeters in size in the small bowel, or this case where the patient has an insulin detected mass. Look at the proximal jejunum. There's a two centimeter mass which ended up being a gist tumor. Gist tumors are typically large, but we pick them now up earlier because they present with GI bleeding and we can find the tumor. In this case, it's exophytic. If you did have a endoscopic type study or a capsule study, you could easily miss this. So again, in terms of some of the comments, Marty, CT angiography performed in the ER setting in patients with acute lower GI bleeding is feasible and correctly depicts the presence and location of active or recent hemorrhage as well as the potential cause in the majority of patients. And in their series, very impressively, accuracy was 98%. And Marty does make the point that rather than restricting it to cases when colonoscopy fails initially, Perhaps CT should be the first step, and at that point, potentially go to colonoscopy if warranted. So again, CTA in the ER setting, GI bleeding is critical. Now, other things I'll just bring up that we can see. Patients with gastric outlet obstruction, you're looking for ulcer disease, you're looking for pancreatitis or pancreatic mass. Sagittal views are critical. Look at the SMA. SMA angles can be decreased and SMA syndrome, it's often not thought about, but can be a cause of symptoms, as in this younger patient with a markedly distended stomach and distended duodenum and transition at the level of the SMA, you can see that the duodenum is dilated. To me, to call SMA syndrome, you need to see a dilated duodenum, not just marked decrease in the SMA angle. I've seen SMA angles decrease, particularly in skinny patients, but look at the angle here. It's like zero degrees almost, 
maybe it's five degrees. Let's not exaggerate. But there's no way the duodenum's getting through there. This was the patient's cause of the patient's symptoms. Or in this case, another example with SMA syndrome and beautiful demonstration of the patient's dilated um, duodenum. So when I read cases and I see a very narrowed SMA angle, I'll say the angle's narrowed. But what I'll say is since there's no duodenal obstruction, we cannot call the SMA syndrome. When I see dilated duodenum obstructed at level of SMA, then I'm suggesting SMA syndrome. So again, a very important diagnosis. I showed you a little bit before about uh, the bowel enhancement. And again, one thing to always think about, particularly in older patients, is ischemic bowel, be it due to arterial or venous disease. Either can be uh, the cause. The problem with ischemic bowel is early, it may simply be mild bowel dilatation or bowel wall thickening. The signs of intramural gas or portal venous air are late signs. Now, it makes it very easy to diagnose at that point, but the morbidity and mortality is very high. You want to be early. Now, things that can be helpful is looking at the mesenteric vessels. Again, this will be a push for telling you sagittal views are mandatory because when you want to look at the mesenteric vessels, in this case, plaque by both SMA and celiac, the sagittal views are really ideal for looking at that very nicely shown here on this example. In this example, you'll note that the patient does have clot in the SMA, and you can see it on axial images, uh, but I picked the right plane, but look how much more obvious it is in the sagittal view. I've seen it miss very easily on the axial view. The patient has no calcified plaque. If you look at the sagittal view, you're always going to be able to see it. Coronal can be helpful as well, but sagittal is just perfect. Also, the sagittal views will show you a case like this where the SMA and celiac are markedly decreased in size. In this case, you can say, well, the vessels are patent, but there definitely is decreased flow, and this patient could have a low flow state causing or predisposing for ischemia. Now, I mentioned about enhancement. When you look at this first coronal images, you would think this was a non-contrast CT when you look at the bowel. The bowel is dilated and enhancing poorly. And from the coronals, you might even suggest pneumatosis, but there's something wrong with the bowel. Now, when you look at the sagittal view, look how nicely you see the celiac, which is normal, but look at the SMA. It's occluded, but it's occluded several centimeters past its origin. And I've seen numerous times this be missed because people look at the proximal vessel. There's no calcification here, but there's occlusion. This patient went to surgery, the, th the claw was removed, and look at the patient's SMA a week later. This patient had bowel resected. This case, same symptoms, but patient was diagnosed earlier, this thickened bowel, but look at that abrupt occlusion of the SMA with thrombus. In this case, the thrombus was removed at surgery, the bowel looked good, the patient had no bowel resection. These things are so obvious. Both of those cases were missed on the axial imaging. Very easy to see on the sagittal view. And I've seen this case numerous times. This was an outside legal case where the patient was read as negative, but look at the SMA. It looks great here on this first set of images. But when you look further down the SMA, you'll notice that it's occluded. And here it is in the sagittal view. You see the occlusion? 
it's so obvious on sagittal but it's so far downstream very easy not to pick it up there were not secondary signs of pneumatosis or inflammation or anything else but this is a critical finding very very important now that covers a few select topics in the acute abdomen of the GI. I can cover other things like gastric ulcers and splenic infarction and liver abscesses and diverticulitis and everything else in between. But I want to give you several select topics. And then let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's get some coffee and then come back and look at the GU causes of the acute abdomen. See you in a few moments.